You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, The Father's Dream, Part 2. Enjoy. So it's the chief desire of God's heart to have an intimate relationship with you. And he's made it so through his son that through simple faith, anyone can know him. No matter what you've done, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter what language you speak or where you're from, if you'll just receive God's love for you, if you'll just put your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, God becomes your very own Father. So this love of God is so amazing, and religions kind of forgot about the love of God. Religion, religion is focused on how many things they think they have to do right, and how many things you're doing wrong. Right, And that's what the focus of religion has become, is how wrong you are and how, how right God is and how, how, how you have to fix your life and get things better. But that's not Jesus at all. That's not his focus. That's not his message. This love that God has for you is so powerful. It's so liberating. It's so miraculous that when you begin to realize in your own heart, not only up here but down here, in your heart, how much he loves you, it will begin to absolutely change the course of your life. Your priorities will begin to change. And your personal relationship with God as your Father will become the pleasure of your life. Yeah. Nothing will be able to compete with it. Where you'll want him more than you want anything else. Will you desire his company? You'll desire fellowship with him. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You'll begin to delight yourself in him. And I heard a pastor teach once that if you study that word delight, it means to bend the knee to, Amen. to become soft and pliable. Amen. In other words, you'll begin to want what he wants. And you'll begin to, to shift the course of your life to please Him. Not because you're afraid or trying to get to heaven or, or trying to make up for wrongs you did. You're just crazy about Him. And so your future now is all about Him. And we're now living for the Father's dream instead of the American dream, right? Let's go back to John 3.16 and let's read this. This is what life is all about. This is why we're on earth. You know, apart from an intimate relationship with God, life is very confusing, life makes no sense, and life has no meaning. Relationship with Him is the meaning of life. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Let me pray here for a moment. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for ministering to every person here this morning, to every person through the Internet. Thank you for meeting every single need in everyone's life, as only you can do according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Thank you for doing more than we can dream of or imagine in our lives. We're so thankful, Lord for who you are showing up daily in our lives. And we thank you for this time together. We receive all that you have for us through your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. John 3, 16. For God so loved 
the world. He loves people, right? Yeah. Loves everybody. Pats fans and Giants fans, right? <laughs> that he gave his one and only son. I mean, that's, that's hard to believe, but it's true. He gave his son for Giants fans. But he did. He gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's stop right there. What is God's requirement for experiencing eternal life? And what else? Well, there's nothing else there. Is that right? He whoever believes and lights candles weekly and goes to confession and um, says his prayers 30 times a day and I can't find that in here where'd that come from man man's religion don't let anyone ever add anything to what Jesus has said in your life religion's got a lot of addendums to John 3 16 you know, you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. You got to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You got to be fully immersed. You got to have you be sprinkled. You got to go through the sacraments. You, what a list. Yeah. But Jesus, the head of the church, says, whoever believes. Uh-huh. Did he slip? No. Did he forget to, to pull out his, his manual and, and go through the, the volumes of religious doctrine and theology? Maybe he was not, a, it was, wasn't a good day for him, maybe. No. He knew the Father, didn't he? When you know the Father, you don't need any volumes of religious doctrine. You don't need a divinity school when you know the Father. He becomes your headmaster, your teacher. Jesus. So what's eternal life? What do you get? What is this eternal life? Remember from last week? An intimate relationship with God as your Father. Jesus defined it for us in John 17, 3. It's being joined to, becoming one with God. So whoever believes in Jesus and what he's done becomes a new creation, enters into God's family, and begins an amazing supernatural relationship with God as their father. Let's put John 3, 16 up there with the definition of eternal life in there again. We like to try and de-religify as much as possible. And that's why we, we remember to take our religious goggles off, right? Religious earbuds out. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever prays the best prayers, oh, whoever's grandparents are in heaven, no, whoever believes in him shall not perish but experience an intimate relationship with God. Wow. But experience an intimate relationship with God, joined to Him, one with Him, knowing Him personally. That's what eternal life is. It's good to know that, right? The more you know Him, the less confused you will be. The more intimate your relationship with him, not religious doctrine, with the real, the true and living God, the less confused you'll be, the less afraid you'll be, the less stressed you'll be, the less anxious you'll be, 
the last lack you'll see in your life. More of his provision you'll see. John 3.17 in the Amplified, let's read that again. For God did not send the Son into the world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world. That describes what people think of when they're going to come to church, right? Isn't that sad? That's, that, has, that should have nothing to do with church. That's why we don't go to church anymore, right? We became the church. We are the church. And we don't reject. We don't condemn. We don't pass sentence on people. No, that's not why Jesus came. But that the world, people, Giants fans, might find salvation and be made safe and sound through him. I had to pick like our biggest enemy, you know, so you really understand how much God loves people. Right? Might find salvation and be made safe and sound through him. Now, you know, there are different types of translation. There are literal translations and there are uh, paraphrase translations. Literal, they'll call them word for word. But you know, the Amplified is actually a literal translation. It's not a paraphrase. Their, their, obje- their, their goal was to try and uh, put some of the definitions of the original words into the English translation to give us a better idea of what they mean. And the word that they're trying to explain to us here is the Greek word sozo. Most translations said that the world might be saved through him, right? Saved salvation. You'll see that in the New Testament. But they say be made safe and sound. Why do they do that? Is that just a nice thing to, you know, send a little note to someone to make you feel warm and fuzzy? No, because that's what it means. To be saved literally means, according to Jesus, according to the Scriptures, to be safe. In this world, yeah. No matter what. That's what it means. I know religion has robbed so many of the reality of this, telling them that saved means going to heaven. It doesn't. If you're saved, you will go to heaven, but saved means being made safe and sound now. October 29th, 2017. Salvation is now. Was it? Mary or Martha or both, he, she, he, she said, your brother's going to rise again. She says, oh, I know he'll rise in the last day. He said, I am. Now's the time for resurrection. Now's the time for my resurrection life in your life. Now's the time to be whole. Now's the time to walk in the safety and salvation of Christ. I am. I'm so glad God is I am, not I'm going to be Someday, maybe. So this intimate relationship with God, according to Jesus, brings safety, soundness, wholeness into our lives. Religion can't do this. Can't do it. Impossible. Only Jesus can do this. So Jesus came to earth as a man, and he exampled for us what it's like to live eternal life. What it's like to walk through each day of your earthly life in an intimate relationship with God as your Father. And he said in John 14, 12, that anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. 
he'll do even greater things than these. Wow. Why? Because he who has faith in me will enter into an intimate relationship with my Father. Amen. So I love studying Jesus. It was fun. We were talking last night, and Jennifer was mentioning when we went back to when we first met. And I never really heard you explain it that way. But when we first met, she, just, she was a Christian, and I had just got saved. But she was kind of, she thought it was so strange that I talked about Jesus so much. And that I was always referring to the Gospels and Acts. And she thought, those are stories you tell to little kids. But when you become a mature Christian, you go to the epistles. You know, Do you know you can't understand the epistles? You can't understand the Old Testament apart from faith in Christ. Amen. The only way you're going to understand the Bible is through the light, through the person of Jesus Christ, as revealed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. He's it, man. There it is, none higher. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So I like studying him. When I study him, I see he treasures God's word. I mean, nothing was more important to him than what his father had said. And he just kept that in his heart, and he wouldn't let anyone take it out, no matter what they did to him. And he exalted God's word above what other people said, even the experts. He wasn't afraid of anybody because he knew what his father said was the truth. Have you ever been criticized by ex-experts? We don't need the affirmation of man because God's our Father. The only qualification you need is faith in Him. God will train you and qualify you for whatever it is He's called you to do if you'll just walk with Him. Don't seek man's stamp of approval, right? Focus on how much God loves you and focus on his love for you and your relationship with him and what he's done for you in Christ and watch what he does in your life. So Jesus knew that his father had given him authority over Satan. And we're going to talk about authority and responsibility. In other words, Jesus knew his father gave him the ability to respond to dark situations. Jesus was God's first responder. He was the first New Testament first responder in the earth. I mean, the father's dream was that the world would be full of people who know him, but in order for that to happen, he had to ask his son to lay down his glory and wrap himself in human flesh and come to earth and lead the way. He he wanted to have people in the earth who would respond like Jesus did to situations, who'd respond with the word of the father instead of fear and the news of the day. The only way that this is possible is if you have a personal relationship heart to heart with God eternal life produces an unshakable confidence in you now you can have eternal life just not understand it not have confidence I should say when you begin to understand the eternal life you have, it will produce an unshakable confidence that no one will be able to bully you. Jesus is the answer to bullying. Yes. 
You know what a bully hates? Confidence. They run from that. When, when, when they try and bully someone, they stand up to them and look them in the eye. I'm not going anywhere. God's people should be confident, strong people. Because the Father of heaven and earth is for us. I love it. Psalm 91 describes eternal life. Did you know that? Psalm 121, Psalm 91. Let's go to Psalm 91, 13. Here's a description of, of God's sons and daughters walking on earth, those who possess eternal life. You shall tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the serpent. That It says young there in the English. It means fierce, the fierce lions. And serpents you shall trample underfoot. I said the New Living Translation says you will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. Eternal life. Next verse. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high. Because he knows and understands my name there's a key verse right there because he personally has a personal knowledge he knows and he understands how much i love him and the amplified brings it out has a personal knowledge of my mercy love and kindness it's that personal knowledge of it that makes it real to you His personal knowledge of my mercy, love, and kindness, he trusts and relies on me, absolutely sure, knowing, certain, and confident that I will never forsake him. No, never. That's eternal life. Verse 15, he shall call upon me and I'll answer him. I will be with him in trouble, I personally will deliver him and I'm going to honor him. God wants to honor you. God wants to exalt you. Is that a blasphemous statement? No, the scriptures teach that. He wants to exalt you and lift you up. He wants to prosper you. God's not, you know, it's the hardest thing to work under an insecure leader. Because instead of trying to elevate you and strengthen you and encourage you and promote you, they try and shut you down and push you to the back. God's not like that. He's not, oh, I wonder if anyone's going to take my throne today. <laughs> oh, he's really talented. I better, I better do something to shut him down. No, he's perfect love. Per- he's perfect power. He wants to lift you up. Hallelujah. 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 I'll honor him with long life. Go ahead. Well, we haven't been promised tomorrow. Who told you that? Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. He didn't say you haven't been promised tomorrow. He said, I'm going to give you a long life. That sounds like tomorrow's been promised, does it not? I mean, if, if long life doesn't conclude tomorrow, that's a short life, isn't it? If I can do my math, one day is 24 hours, that's not too long. So it's got to be at least 25 hours, right? 
With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Boy, religion will cripple you. I love it. I love eternal life. Jesus life. Knowing God as my Father life. Strong in the Lord and in His mighty power life. So in this series, we're talking about the Father's dream. We're looking, we looked last week when it was born in the earth. We're going to look at it being broken. And then we're going to look at it being restored through Christ. Let's go back to Genesis for a little bit. The Father's dream being born. Uh, don't, don't go to the, uh, chapter 3 yet. Let's just turn. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. We saw last week the Father's dream was born. We're not going to read through that again. But in verse 1, we saw God created a perfect heaven and a perfect earth. And that's just verse 1 now. Genesis 1, 1. Okay? God creates a perfect heaven, a perfect earth. Then we saw something happen between verse 1 and verse 2. If you study the Hebrew there, it says the earth, earth became a, a, a chaotic place of ruin is one of the definitions. It's a powerful verse. Something happened between verse 1 and verse 2, and Jesus gives us insight into that in Ezekiel and a number of other places in the Scriptures. I think Isaiah is another one. That when Satan and his, uh, the angels that he deceived, some of them rebelled against God, he was cast down from heaven to the earth like lightning. And they, they just wreaked havoc on the earth. So a lot happened in verse 1 and verse 2 of Genesis. Now, we don't know how much time that covers. The, I, I, the Bible may tell us. I haven't found it if it does. But between verse 1 and 2, I don't know. It could have been a year. could have been a 1,000 years. could have been 10 trillion years. We don't know. You say, well, how old is the earth? Well, I'll tell you this. We know, what we do know is that from Adam to us is about 6,000 years. But prior to Adam, we don't know. We really don't. Okay, I haven't found it in the scriptures yet. But because of the detailed genealogy, we do know from Adam until us was 6,000 years. Okay, so a lot of people debate over that. But there's some things we just don't know, but we, what we do know is what we focus on. So what happened in these first two verses, we have a little glimpse into, but it really doesn't matter a whole lot. What matters is what we know now and what Christ has revealed to us. All right, so in verse 3, God is going to restore, restore the earth. And he does it, he responds to darkness just like his son did. He speaks to it. He speaks his word to it. He's not afraid of it. He doesn't remain silent. He opens up his mouth and releases what's in his heart. And he tells darkness how it's going to be. He says, light be. From now on in the earth, my light is going to reign. All right? So God releases his nature in the earth and he separates light from darkness. He makes a distinction between his nature and Satan. All right? So that no one could be confused about it. Now, I want to give you a definition of darkness to help you navigate in your own life. Here's what darkness is. Now, of course, there are spirits of darkness, Satan and, and his demons. But darkness is not only a spirit, darkness, there are dark ideas. And darkness, I want to define it to you as this, any idea, any thought, any belief or philosophy that hinders you from personally experiencing the goodness of God in your life. Okay, darkness. Any idea, thought, belief or philosophy that trips you up or hinders you 
from experiencing the goodness of God in your life. That's darkness. Okay? Let's give you what would be an example. Um, you make a mistake uh, today. And a thought comes in like, boy, you did that again. Do you know how many times you've made that same mistake over and over again? And you say you love God. And you say you're a Christian. What is that? Darkness. That's condemnation. That's trying to keep you from experiencing the goodness of God, the love of God in your life. Right? How do you defeat darkness? With the word. There is therefore. Now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Romans 8.1. Right? So that's what darkness is. Um, let's see here. So let's jump to days. Well, Jesus said this in John 8, 12. He said, I'm the light of the world, didn't he? So darkness are the things that try and keep you from experiencing God. Light is what enables you to experience God. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Anyone who comes after me, follows me, uh, will walk in the light of life. Won't be in the darkness anymore. In other words, Jesus, as recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, he's the light we need to experience God. Amen. He's the light we need to see God clearly, to understand God's nature and will for our lives. There's no substitute. There's no other option. It's Jesus. He's the light that God has given us to know him. Now, on day six, we saw the Father's dream comes into fruition. He makes beings, Adam and Eve, in his own image. Wow. He makes beings that are just like him. And we saw that in Genesis 1, 26 through 31. We're not going to read through that. But these men and women that he made in his image, they were vessels of his presence. They were containers of his light in the earth. And they were to carry his light with them everywhere they went. He blessed them and, and he empowered them to prosper, to be fruitful, to multiply and to increase. That was eternal life. Adam and Eve had eternal life. They had an intimate relationship with God as their father. They were lacking nothing. In Genesis 3.8, we're going to read in a little bit, but says um, that they heard the voice of God uh, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They had this fellowship, this relationship with God. Help me out, Jennifer. And he walks with me, and he talks with me. He tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever that's what they had with him see that's what we have now with him all right but that got interrupted we're gonna look at that so he makes this 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 man and woman in his image he empowers them he has he's fellowshipping with them and he gives them a divine assignment to be as light bearers in the earth to carry his word in their hearts and to respond to darkness with his word And we saw last week that he gave them authority over the earth. Amen. He gave them sovereignty over the earth. Was that a little game he was playing? That they really weren't in control? They just thought it would be kind of fun to see what happened? No. 
man was now in control of the entire earth. God was not. I mean, you, you get uh, put on a rail for saying some of the things I'm saying in some theological circles, but it's Bible. God gave man sovereignty over the earth. Was God still sovereign? Yes, he's above all. That doesn't mean he was in control of the earth. In his sovereignty, he gave man control of the earth. So who is responsible for what happened in the earth, God or man? Man. That hasn't changed. So don't let anyone ever tell you that God took that child away or God allowed or caused a tragedy because he had some purpose. That's a bunch of baloney. God doesn't cause or allow bad things to happen. He's not controlling the things in the earth. He's a good father. Amen. Hallelujah. So they had this divine assignment. They were God's first responders in the earth. Jesus was the New Testament first responders. But they were God's first earth responders, right? The first men, man and woman in the earth. And they were, gonna, they were to be just like their father and to respond to darkness the way that he did in verse 3. Light be. Okay? Now, let's go to Genesis 3 now. And before we read, let's talk about this responsibility they have. You know, responsibility, I want you to think of this this way. I'll give you, I give you, I guess, I don't know, maybe my own definition of responsibility. Responsibility is the ability to respond as Jesus responds. God's given you the ability to respond to situations and circumstances just like Jesus would respond. And responsibility, I mean, naturally speaking, it really is a wonderful thing. We couldn't drive a car without it, right? We couldn't own a car without it. We couldn't have an apartment. We couldn't own a home. We couldn't have a marriage. We couldn't have children. We couldn't have a job. We couldn't earn an income. We couldn't start a business without personal responsibility, right? It's an ability God has given us. And I bring this up. I want to let me say this. When we're talking about personal responsibility, it's not to make us feel guilty. Right. All right? Because you want to know something? We've all blown it big time. Every human being, whether they realize it or not, has absolutely blown it big time. Okay? And you want to know what the result of our blowing it was? Death. Sorry, but it was. We're responsible for the death in the earth. We're responsible for the, for the, the junk going on here. But God loves us. Even though we were responsible for it, he put the, the penalty for that responsibility on his son. So we're not responsible anymore, right? Well, how do I say that? We're, we're not punished for that responsibility, but we still have a responsibility. But we'll talk about that in a second. All right? So in other words, we've been, we've been justified now. Even though we blew it, now we're righteous. We're clean in God's sight. We have no guilt or shame anymore. So we can talk about responsibility and not listen to those voices that try and condemn us. All right? Now, I like this word responsibility. You look it up. It goes back to respond and response. It literally means in the original to answer. Responsibility, the ability to answer. Isn't that great? It means to pledge again. 
or, or to give an answer offered in return. To speak the word to. I could say it that way. John 14, 12, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He'll speak like I speak. He'll say the things I say. So when we respond to situation based on our relationship with God as our Father, based on the promises of God, instead of our circumstances, we experience eternal life. We experience victory. And that's what God wants us to do. By believing God's word in our hearts, our response becomes a reaction to his promises instead of our circumstances. So we respond to God's promises daily, not to circumstances. Because that's what we're depositing inside of us. If you're not depositing them inside of you, you're not going to have anything to, to give, any answer to give. Right? So you, we want to make sure that God's promises are in our hearts, not man's wisdom. Because you can respond with all you want to, with, to uh, the devil with man's wisdom, and he's going to laugh at you. It has no weight with him. See, he sees through all this. He knows what really counts and how to take advantage of it. And we're going to see he took advantage of Adam and Eve here. So per, uh, responsibility, it's this personal response, the ability to respond as Jesus responds. It's this response that's born out of a personal knowledge of who God is, of what he's done for me, and of who I am in Christ. All right? Now, Genesis chapter 3. This is good. This is really good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We'll start in verse 1. This is liberating, isn't it? Listen, knowing who you are is liberating. God's given you authority over your own life. He has. This is great. That means the quality of my life is not controlled by anyone else but me. So, so the quality of my life, no one else can change it. It's not dependent upon what others have done to me or what others haven't done to me. It's solely based upon what I believe in my heart. That's liberating. Hmm. Do you know God didn't design us to be controlled by other people? Insecure people will try and control you. Right? Try and manipulate you. So they can feel better about themselves, right? God hasn't designed us to be controlled by man. He, you know, God never wanted, we're going to read in a minute here, but we'll just talk about this for a little bit anyway. Is that okay? Do you know God never wanted man to have a king? Have you read that in the Old Testament? That was the world system. Other nations had kings. Israel, God's people, had a relationship, a worship relationship with God. He was their king. And they looked at the other nations and said, we want that. How do you figure that one out, right? And God says, I, I'm your king, right? But they insisted that they, they do things the world's way. They insisted. We want the world's system of government. Oh, sad. But see, God's system of government is a direct relationship with him. He doesn't want any man between you and him. That's why religion is so devastating. They, they tell you, you have to come to this man to get to God. No, you don't. You go directly to him through faith in the man, Jesus Christ. Right? 
This is a, a big deal in the earth. Don't ever let a faulty man stand between you and God. This is the primary difference between what we call a free democratic republic, which is what America is, and a socialistic or communistic government. Yeah, and it's good to look at the world through the eyes of the scriptures. And you look at the history of the world. Go back to Israel demanding for a king. And monarchs spread throughout the world. But at some point in time, someone says, you know what, this is not good. <laughs> we don't need a king. Yeah, you don't, right? And somewhere along the line, they say, you know, we should get a, a, a we, should ha we need a, a system of government that allows for personal freedom. And you look at the history of America, it's amazing, but we're what's called a democratic republic. In other words, we, we elect those uh, to, to the positions of government, and they actually serve us. We don't serve them. Isn't that a, a different way of thinking, right? But if you study the, the socialistic and communistic nations, it's a whole different view. Their view is that, that the state is God. Correct. And then what the state says is what you need to do. Correct. And that leads to bondage. Yes. Because man doesn't know what you need. Mm -hmm. You have to be free to live a personal relationship with Christ. Yes. And anytime man tries to interfere with that, things get ugly. Okay, people get hurt and confusion comes. And Satan understands this. That's why there's so much confusion in the earth and all the different systems of government. Thank God for the nation we live in. Amen. Father, we lift up this nation. Yes. Lord, let freedom ring. Yes. In Jesus' name, let the liberty of Christ burst forth in every government office. Lord, we lift up our, our president. We lift up the executive branch. We lift up the judicial branch. We lift up the legislative branch at, at the federal level, Lord, at the state level and the local level. Holy Spirit, we ask you to break through political barriers and ideologies and let the light of your son, Jesus Christ, set government officials free. Lord, that your liberty would be proclaimed from sea to shining sea in this nation. Thank you, Father, for a great revival beginning here in New England and breaking forward to the rest of the nation. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So Satan understands this. He understands that we've been given this authority. We've been given this ability to respond. And he takes advantage of it if you, if you let him. Now let's read. The father's dream broken in Genesis chapter 3. And the reason the father's dream was broken was not because they ate the fruit. It's because Adam did not respond with the word of God to darkness. All right, verse 1. <laughs> Every time I would get to go, there's something else comes up. How long after Adam and Eve were created did Satan come and tempt them? Do you guys know? It doesn't say. But I'll tell you what we can, we can uh, figure out from Jesus. Jesus said that when the word of God is, is sown, Satan comes immediately. To steal it. So, you know, when you leave here today, Satan's going to try and take what you've just heard, try and shed some doubt on it, try and get you to go back to a different way of thinking. Don't listen to him. 
Let that seed of the word of God grow in you. So it probably wasn't very long after they were made. Because he, he, he didn't want to give them time to really get to know the Father. He didn't want to give time for that word to start growing and becoming strong. So he probably came pretty soon. Hallelujah. Can we read verse 1 yet? All right. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Listen, you got to read the Old Testament through New Testament Revelation. He's not taking, talking about a normal snake here. Satan entered into a serpent's body. Uh, any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman, this is Satan talking. He said, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. What's he after? What's he after? Their pocketbook? Uh, their car? Their savings account? What's he after? Come on. The authority. They had dominion over him. And he hated that. He knew he couldn't talk God out of it, but he thought he'd try with, with Adam and Eve. Right? He was under their feet. Satan could do nothing in the earth without a yes from them. It was a perfect earth. No storms, no tornadoes, no tragedies, no hurricanes, no wars, no crime. And he wanted to change that. And the only way he could do that is if he could steal that authority from them. And the woman said, okay, so she's responding, right? Yes. She opens up her mouth and she responds. Does she respond with a word? Let's see. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Okay, it's partially true, right? Mostly true. But of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it. She's doing good, right? Then yes. she says, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Oops. So now I'm not sure what happened here, but God didn't say that. That's a problem. I'm not faulting Eve here because you know when God gave the commandment, Eve wasn't created That's yet. Right. That's right. Oh. That's right. So it could be that Adam just didn't teach it right. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know what happened. But the point is she responded with some of the word, but not all of it. She had a little bit of word in her response, but then a little bit of her own reasoning. And that devil will whip you every time with that. You have 75% word and 25% human philosophy, you're done. You got 99% word and 1% uh, religion, you're done. You need just Jesus to whip the devil. Just Jesus, there's no other way. Amen. So, it, 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 so I'm motivated now to know his word. I want his word just flowing through me so that I can respond properly to darkness, right? So the serpent, so he said, okay, good, she didn't remember, he knew. He says to the woman, you shall not surely die. We're not going to go back and read it, but he's directly contradicting God, isn't he? Chapter 2. For God, doth not, for God doth know that in the day you eat, talk about an insecure leader, right? Calling into question the motives of others. That you, the day you eat of it, your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods knowing good and evil. Now, uh, is that true what he's saying there? Well, first, he's basically saying that God is afraid of you. God is keeping good things from you. He doesn't want you to have good things. He doesn't want you to be like him. But what did God say in Genesis 1.26? Let us make man in our... They're already like him. Isn't that funny? Satan will, 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 will redirect your thoughts so you can't even see who you are. 
They were already just like him. Boy, does he twist things around. My goodness. He's good at it, but he's defeated. We're not going to listen to him. So the, it says, when the woman saw, so what's she using her eyes, that the tree was good for her. She hasn't tasted it yet. I mean, it could taste like bad cabbage. I don't know. Yeah. Or liver. I don't know. <laughs> Man, I remember that smell when I was a kid. Like, what is mom making? Woo! <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. If you like liver, just don't have it near me. No, just kidding. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food. And that it was pleasant to the eye. So she's not relying on God's word. She's relying on her senses, right? And a tree to be desired. Now it's desirable to make one wise. None of this is based on truth. It's based on what Satan just told her, right? She took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. And I've heard it said, and I think it's excellent, that the Adam's first sin was not eating the fruit, but being silent. Right? Failing to respond to darkness with the word of God. And the eyes of them were both and the eyes of them both were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. That's what that's what religion is. Fig leaves and aprons. Yeah. And you think you're in style, right? You think you're all right with God. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus cursed the fig tree. The fig tree represented man's attempt to be right with God. Man's religious ideas. He said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Amen. He wants people to know it's through faith in him Amen. we're made right. Hallelujah. And they heard the voice of the Lord God. Look at this. Here comes their father wanting to fellowship with them. Is he screaming, where are you? What would you guys do? No. He's walking in the garden. He's cool. In the cool of the day, see, it says God's cool right there, doesn't it? Well, it says the cool of the day, okay. Just a little liberty I'm taking with that. And Adam and his wife hid themselves. This is, this is the first responders are now retreating. Wow. Can you imagine if there's a fire and someone calls the fire department and they go the opposite direction? Oh, man. What happens? You get burned up, don't you? hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called on Adam and said, where are you? Did God not know physically? Was his GPS broken? He was speaking to his heart. What's going on? Where are you? Come on, let's fellowship. Right? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. First time. Entrance of fear into the human race. Because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you this? Who told you to see yourself that way? Why are you looking at yourselves through someone else's eyes? Why are you not seeing yourself as I see you? Perfect, loved, cherished, treasured, fearfully, wonderfully made. Jesus. Have you eaten of the tree? that I commanded you that you should not eat of. 
And the man said, yes, I did. Nope. <laughs> Remember responsibility? Right? Right? Taking the blame is a part of responsibility. Realize, you know what? It was my fault. That's okay to say. And when you're not insecure, you can say that. You know, I mess up a lot as a, as a, as a husband, dad, pastor. I don't get it right all the time. I make mistakes. But God loves me. Right? He God loves me. That's what I focus on. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So the man says, the first responder says, my wife did it. The woman, you, in your wisdom, decided to give me now he's not blaming his wife. He's blaming God. God had allowed that to happen because he had some divine purpose. Same spirit. Same thing. Blaming God for tragedy. Don't you ever do that. God did not cause that, nor did he allow that. We don't blame him for any tragedy in this earth. We know him better than that. We know him better than that. Thank God we're not in Adam's position anymore. So the woman and you are responsible. She gave me the tree. And what was I supposed to do? Not eat it? You know how a wife can be if you don't eat their cooking, right? <laughs> uh, uh, that's funny. We're having fun. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that you have done? And look how the woman responds to him, honestly. The man didn't, but the woman responded honestly. So she at least opened her mouth to Satan, and she at least responded honestly to God. Isn't that interesting? The serpent beguiled me, and that's what the New Testament says. She was deceived. And, and there's people who are really good at it. Satan's really good at deceiving. Right? But, you know, if you want to understand what counterfeit money looks like, study real money. So if you want to recognize Satan's deception, study Jesus, the truth. You'll see right through his junk. So the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So the Lord says to the serpent, you did this. And because you are cursed, first time in the Bible, above all cattle, every beast of the field, and on your belly you're going to crawl, go, and dust, eat dust the rest of your life. Everything changed in the earth at this point. Everything. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise the, his heel. Who's he talking about here? Do you know? This is prophetic. The moment that the father's dream is broken in his life, he speaks a promise. Restoration of that dream. Even though this has happened, he, I, I'm going to send my son into the womb of a virgin and he's going to crush your head. It's a prophetic verse right there. And the woman said, uh, and, and unto the woman he said, I'll greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In sorrow you're going to bring forth children, and the desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. This is all part of the curse. This is not us today, guys. This is all part of the curse. The curse was nailed to that cross. This is not anymore. All right? We're redeemed from the curse. So anything said here does not belong to us. Amen. Keep that in mind when you're reading the Old Testament. Is this before the curse? After the curse? Is this before Jesus or after Jesus? 
All right, so this is not us now, but it's good to know what happened. And unto Adam he said, uh, uh, did I skip anything? There's a, oh, okay, verse 17. Unto Adam he said, because you've hearkened unto the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I, co- I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of cursed is the ground for your sake. And in sorrow shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Man, this is tragic. Look at this, verse 18, thorns. They weren't in the earth until this point. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Man, if you've ever tried to grow anything, you hate thorns. Thorns are part of the curse. They weren't in, in God's plan. You telling me there are things in the earth that are not God's will? Yes, yes, yes. God's will was broken and defiled here. And what did Jesus wear on his head? Thorns. He took the curse upon himself, right? Verse 19, in the sweat of your face shall thou eat bread. Don't you live this way. This is part of the curse. We're not, we're not trying to make ends meet. By the, the, by the, we're not breaking our back to make ends meet. We're not stressed when we go to work. We're walking in the strength and glory of God. He's our power. He's our strength. We don't wear ourselves out. This is part of the curse. Don't live like this. Hallelujah. And you're going to eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it was taken, you were taken from dust. You are, and in dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother. And in verse 21, unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins from Burlington Coat Factory. No. Where did those come from? Animals. What had to happen for him to get those skins? An animal sacrifice. Why did God sacrifice animals for man? The blood was the, pe- the penalty for their sin. All right? Jesus is the Lamb of God. So one more verse, then we're done. Romans 5.17 describes to us very clearly what Satan just did. This is the Weymouth translation. Okay, Weymouth New Testament. Satan stole the sovereignty over the earth from Adam and Eve, and, and Romans 5.17 describes it. says, For if through the transgression of the one individual, death made use, I like that, death made use of the one individual to what? Wow. What sovereignty? Over the earth. Right? Where you're living right now. So Satan took advantage of Eve and Adam to seize the sovereignty that God gave to Adam over the earth, all the more, but Jesus has come, all the more shall those who receive God's overflowing grace and gift of righteousness reign, that's a term of sovereignty, as kings in life through the one individual, Jesus Christ. We don't have time to go any further. We'll get into more of it next Actually, next week, Debbie's going to be sharing. We're excited about that. It's going to be awesome. But the following week, we'll continue. But um, so through Christ now, we are, the authority over our lives has been given back to us. Satan is now under our feet. We are sovereign over our lives, under the sovereign of sovereigns. Right? Understand us? Isn't that good? We're understanding who we are. We're God's first responders in the earth, and we're going to respond to darkness with the light of Christ, with His Word. Amen. Father, thank You so much.
for this time, Lord, in your word. Lord, you're building us up in you. You're strengthening us. Every week we're getting stronger. Every time we gather here in homes, we're getting stronger. God, you're amazing. Lord, you're our physical, our personal trainer. And you're, you're causing us to go higher in you and to walk in a confidence and a strength and a peace and a joy and a rest that's, that can only be possible through you. And Father, I pray for everyone here in this place and anyone who would be hearing this message through the podcast or through the live stream. Father, minister your grace and love and strength to every hearer, Lord. Help us, Lord, to walk in the, in the kingly authority that you've given us. To respond to darkness with your word, without hesitancy. To take authority over darkness in our lives. And live the abundant life. Reign as kings. As you have created us to be. In Jesus' name. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And experience the abundant life he came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.